What's up, everybody? How you doing? Welcome back. It is time for another brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I, of course, am Andrew for America. I have a hell of a show for you today. Do you remember the fall of the cabal? QAnon, quote-unquote, conspiracy videos that circulated uh, during the Trump presidency. Lots of crazy stuff. You know, Pizzagate was in there, Adrenochrome, you know, Devil Worshippers, you know, Bohemian Grove, Epstein Island type of shit they were talking about. Maybe they got a little bit... Uh, too honest and too close to the realities of this world, whoever uh, funded and created those videos. Crazy stuff, right? Things that you're not going to hear on your mainstream media news networks, my fellow Americans, that's for damn sure. (laughs) There's no way. So there is a sequel now out. Sequel to Fall of the Cabal. And it is, I think it's like a 20 part series with 20 or so, 20 or some episodes. All of them are like a half hour or so long. And it's less conspiracy, tinfoil hat wearing crazy to me than the original QAnon conspiracy videos and the Fall of the Cabal video. Or videos, plural. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen any of these. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm sure some of you probably do. Um, but you got to go see them for yourself. So you can know what I'm talking about. Although, what I am going to be talking about on the show today is the first episode of the new Fall of the Cabal sequel. Uh, and the reason why I want to talk about it is because it has a lot of history. Uh, a lot of history that goes all the way back to the ancient Sumerian civilization. And we're going to talk about esoteric secret societies. We're going to talk about uh, the things that I discussed in the Tragedy and Hope episode. Uh, where we talked, where in that episode, you know, I talked about Cecil Rhodes and I talked about. Uh, Carol Quigley, Georgetown professor, wrote the book Tragedy and Hope, uh, which reveals a lot of the history of the small group of people that wanted to collude and conspire to take over the world and get everybody onto one currency that they could be the bankers and the financiers of, and etc. Go back, listen to the Tragedy and Hope episode if you haven't. Uh, I... Read some excerpts from the book Tragedy and Hope in that. And I pretty much make the case that we are controlled by a small group of world planners. This country and many other countries around the world. And we are increasingly getting closer to it being every country in this world. That this secret cabal, quote unquote, has been financing, funding... Uh, playing divide and conquer, uh, you know, the pawns on the chessboard, piece by piece, step by step, 
slow usurpations. You know, old Mama Rothschild apparently at one point in time said that there would be no wars in this world if it weren't for my sons. <laughs> my my sons are the reason why we have wars in this world. And that's a paraphrase. I'm probably going to read that quote later on uh, in its entirety, verbatim. But I think the common theme, you know, I always talk about looking for common themes, common threads with uh, when you're looking at history and you're looking at all these crazy stories, conspiracy theories, whatever, controversial uh, information, forbidden knowledge, secret truth, right? So I'm going to go over some of this history that they talk about in the first episode of the New Fall of the Cabal sequel because I find it very, very fascinating. And it is going to paint the picture, lay the foundation of where all of these people came from. The Freemasons, the Rothschilds, later on, you know, a lot of the secret societies at the Ivy League schools, which are all funded by the same group, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the bankers, the financiers, yada, yada, right? And But this uh, history lesson begins in Sumer, in ancient Sumeria. And I highly recommend you all go to DuckDuckGo and search for Fall of the Cabal sequel. And I highly recommend you watch all 20 episodes. Uh, I watched almost all of them. I'm almost through with them. But I wanted to start uh, covering it on the show because I'm going to do a multi-part series, I think, starting today with this show, where I'm going to go over what they discussed in Fall of the in the Fall of the Cabal sequel videos, because a lot of the things that I thought were far-fetched in the QAnon videos and the fall, the you know, the first Fall of the Cabal videos, you know, there were things that I thought were interesting and were you know possible, and you know, I always say you got to be careful about these, cons you know, these conspiracy videos and every other video out there. Um, although we live in an era where pretty much anybody can put out their own content, create their own content, and distribute it to the world, um, there's still, you know, five, maybe six big media companies that control all the news and information that we get to hear. So, if uh, the, there's any truth to my claim that I made previously that maybe those QAnon videos were purposely, you know, put there. Psychological operations that, like we talked about last episode, are now allowed in the United States uh, since the nullification of the Smith-Munt Act, the Smith-Munt Act, and when it was, uh, you know, the, mod the Modernization Act of it was passed in 2012 under Obama, NDAA. I've been over that. So now who knows? Who knows if these conspiracy videos that these people keep putting out are bullshit or not. But there is some very, very compelling information in there. And if you are a truth seeker like myself and many like me out there in this world and in this country, you will find value, I assure you, in how this researcher that uh, put together this series of videos, she definitely put her work in. It's a female. I'm going to get her name for you here in just a second. And I find it to be very interesting and compelling. And the timeline that she provides does help put into perspective 
you know, what happened in our history, why these wars that we've uh, been fighting for the past, you know, two, three, four hundred years, and even before that. Uh, you know, this is a pretty good chronological rendition, I guess you could say, that this researcher provides. So here we go. I'm going, let me go find her name. Okay, so these videos were made by Janet Osbard and Cynthia Coder, Cater, K-O-E-T-E-R. And uh, her name, uh, Janet, is Janet, J-A-N-E-T, and her last name is O-S-S-E-B-A-A-R-D. Janet Osbard and Cynthia, C-Y-N-T-H-I-A, Cater, K-O-E-T-E-R. So I'll go look up who these two women are later on. But I do find this part of their series, the beginning, uh, part one, to be a fantastic history lesson. So she begins by discussing, by discussing the ancient Sumerian civilization. And she talks about how they had uh, grand uh, temples and pyramids and very artistic, you know, very high craftsmanship level of civilization, I guess you could say, you could say, uh, much like our civilization today. And when I first started watching this, it immediately made me think about histories written by the victors, right? And it made me think about, you know, the Tartaria uh, whole you know, the world fairs and stuff, who really, uh, you know, built the the grand buildings that we have in this world, and, uh, you know, what kind of technology did they have, and craftsmanship, and artistic uh, merit, and ability for them to create such amazing things, and build these lavish, huge, intricate structures, and... You know, what What our history books tell us about how advanced previous civilizations to us were, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is bullshit. And the more that people dig and do their research, we're starting to see that uh, past civilizations in this world were much, much, much more advanced than they're given credit for in our, you know, in our modern day history books. So that's the, my first thought when I started watching this. So she starts talking about uh, Sumeria and how it was the first civilization that had uh, a language that was written down, uh, the, you know, the cuneiform uh, tablets that were found. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about them. Uh, apparently they had running water, they had plumbing systems in their houses in ancient Sumeria. This is the first civilization of, in recorded history you know, in the recorded history of the human race. So to to think that they had luxuries that are similar and as advanced as we have today is, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it blows my mind. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just pretty insane if there's any truth to this stuff, okay? So apparently the people of Sumer, which is, you know, Sumer was located pretty much in the southern part of modern-day Iraq, Kuwait, that area between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. And they eventually moved west, north and west, 
uh, into the northern part of Iraq, into where today would be like Russia, like the Ukraine, um, and east of there would have been in you know going into like Syria, Jordan, and Israel, Lebanon, that whole area, right? And that whole area obviously uh, was Canaanite, and the the Phoenicians were there. Um, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, a lot, a lot of those ancient civilizations uh, from biblical times and even before. Uh, that's you know the the Fertile Crescent. You know that was the area of the world we're talking about here. So they were a polytheistic civilization, and they worshipped a goddess named Ishtar, and Ishtar uh, goes by a number of names. Uh, it's actually been I've read somewhere that Ishtar is actually uh, where Christianity got Easter from, and a lot of the stories are very similar, uh, you know, very celestial, holy days on the equinoxes, virgin birth, December 25th, you know, that was died and resurrected three days, that has to do with celestial, you know, when the, after the equinoxes and the sun goes, starts going back in the different direction or whatever. Uh, I don't know the specifics of it. You can probably look that stuff up too. Very fascinating stuff. In fact, uh, I think there was a gentleman on the Great Deception podcast that talked about astrotheology and how much of the Bible verses are actually based in celestial, um, you know, the seasons where the stars are with relation to the sun at different times of the year and what's visible to the human eye. And they wrote stories based on these celestial movements and locations throughout the year. And that's where, you know, the clock comes from. That's how we started to, quote unquote, tell time, I guess you could say. So there's a lot of history that can be farmed and, and discovered, people. You can go look at many, many books. There's stuff out there. you got to go seek out this information for yourself. Nobody's going go to tell you this stuff, people. you got to go learn Self-educate, the education of yourself. Don't let your school, you know, you don't need your university or your school to t educate you. We, we live in a wonderful era where we have the internet. And you can look stuff up, people. I highly recommend you do, okay? So uh, the Sumerians worshipped uh, Ishtar. And they were also, she was also, she was the goddess of love, beauty, sex, war, and political power. Uh, she was also worshipped by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And a lot of these people also worshipped a god named Baal. And Baal was, is the subject of the entire quote-unquote Luciferians that I jokingly bring up from time to time in my podcasts. Uh, it all traces back to this god, Baal, who apparently was big on child sacrifice. Apparently this god was, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's satanic, uh, but it's definitely Luciferian and it depends on who you talk to. But some people say that Satan and Lucifer were, uh, were all, you know, lumped into the same category. But other people will tell you that Satan is, is a very different thing from Lucifer. So... That, that's, you know, this is the origin of where all the Luciferianism and devil, whatever, Satan worshiping, uh, conspiracy conversations start. This is the actual history. The Sumerians, Ishtar, and Baal, okay? So, 
this was back in like I think this was pre six hundred A.D. She says uh, in the episode one of the Fall of the Cabal, and she talks about how the Sumerians ended up moving north towards Babylonia and into Canaan. So you're talking about uh, moving pretty much from Iraq north and west into um, you know modern day Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Israel. Okay. And they, that, there was a group of them that went uh, west and north there. But then there was another group that went north uh, into modern-day Russia between the Black and Caspian Sea. And these people were called the Khazars. And the Khazars are an interesting group of people. They are ancient Sumerians who, after leaving Sumer, uh, settled in what's modern-day Ukraine. And these are the people, this is the wing of the Sumerians that apparently worshipped Baal and were Luciferians and engaged in child sacrifice, etc. Okay? These people claim to be the descendants of Noah, of the biblical Noah. And so Noah had a son called Japheth, I believe. Japheth had a son called Gomer. Gomer had a son called Askenaz. And... I think Askenaz had a son named Khazar, if you follow the bloodline. So the Khazarians, or the Khazars, Khazarians, that settled, that were Sumerian, ended up settling in modern-day Ukraine, are the people that we, are the object of this entire conversation we're having, okay? And this is all in Fall of the Cabal, sequel, episode one. These Khazars were described as thieves, as lawless, spies, cruel, evil, masters of deceit who worshipped Baal and were and another god called Moloch. Moloch was a, a Canaanite god uh, and both of them were uh, Luciferian, quote-unquote, okay? So around 600 AD, uh, after years of the Khazars living in this area, uh, actual Russia, the country of Russia... The Tsars, I think, or maybe it was kings back then, I forget. But anyway, um, they wanted to eliminate the Khazars. They didn't like the Luciferian ways. I think their religion was more Christian or more Orthodox. Uh, I, I'm not really sure of the timeline, but they were definitely not fans of the Luciferian Khazars. And eventually they were forced to convert to one of the Abrahamic religions. Uh, they, you know, It was either Christianity, uh, Islam... Or Judaism. And the Khazar king at the time chose to merge with Judaism. and Or convert to Judaism. But they didn't really fully convert, is what this uh, video claims. They pretty much did what all religions have done throughout history. And they took elements of Judaism and merged it with ele elements of their Luciferian religion. Okay? Uh, these people were also later... Uh, known as the Ashkenazi Judeans. And this was years before the term Jew was a thing. So these were these were a different group of people that all claimed to be descendants of Noah. Okay? And in, 80, in uh, 865 AD, the Ashkenazi Judeans were asked to leave Ukraine. And they did leave. And they headed west and they settled all throughout Europe. They, they headed west. Years later, they were 
they swore to take revenge on Russia, and a lot of what these videos talk about with the big club or the big cabal um, is that revenge is kind of the name of the game. The the they sought out revenge, allegedly, against all of these countries that exiled them. So they got beef with Russia as of 865 AD, okay? And they swore to take revenge on Russia, uh, the country that had expelled them. And so uh, we're going to leave that story right there. So that's just a little history of, of these ancient peoples. And you, we, we're going to learn where this goes, okay? So years later... There was some very successful members of this Ashkenazi, Judean, uh, Khazar uh, community, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word. And they were given the name, or they chose the, the name, of Rockshield. And Rockshield can be translated into Red Shield. And this is the root word of Rothschild the Rothschild banking family that keeps coming up in Tragedy and Hope, coming up in these Follow the Cabal videos. If you look at your history, they're everywhere. Okay, they are one of the most powerful families in the world. And uh, they eventually settled in Frankfurt, uh, Germany. Mayor Amschel Rothschild, I've talked about in a previous podcast, uh, the guy that said, give me control of a nation's currency and I care not who makes the laws. Uh, later on, his son Nathan Rothschild is going to talk about, and I think I got a clip of it, where he says, uh, whoever controls the money supply of uh, the British crown controls the British crown, and I control the money supply, right? So that's where we're headed, okay? So the Rockshields, Red Shield family, settled in Frankfurt, Germany, made a fortune using uh, in the banking industry, Bank notes versus deposits, like uh, we talked about in Tragedy and Hope. We know how they made their fortunes. And in a previous podcast, I also played for you guys that video where the it's a Portugal news show where the host is interviewing Jeremy Irons, the actor. And uh, he's he makes that joke, you know, who do we, all these countries, owe all this money to? And under his breath, the host of that show says the five families. And I think he's referring to the five families of Rothschild, of Lord Mayor Amschel Rothschild. Uh, I forget all of their names. One of them's Nathan, one of them's whatever. I forget all their names. But his sons all settled throughout Europe. London, Paris, Vienna, Naples, and Frankfurt. And this is all in this video. Over time, they became these families became the bankers for kings and queens. And eventually, they became the bankers for the Vatican in Rome. So power players came out of this, these Khazar uh, peoples from ancient times, ancient Sumer, uh, modern-day Ukraine. Apparently there was a Khazarian mafia. Uh, and before I continue, I want to talk about this. I have a really long article about the, the Khazar mafia that before we pick up this story, I want to go over. So let's do that. Okay, here we go. So here's a little story of the history of the Khazarians or the Khazarian Mafia KM, the world's largest organized crime syndicate. 
that the Khazarian oligarchy morphed into by their deployment of Babylonian money magic has been nearly completely excised from the history books, okay? So here, I'm going to read this article to you talking about this very, giving you a little bit more. This isn't part of Fall of the Cabal, uh, the sequel. This is a completely different thing, okay? But we're just going to dive a little bit deeper on this Rothschild Khazarian mafia, okay? The present-day Khazarian mafia knows that it cannot operate or exist without abject secrecy and therefore has spent a lot of money having its history excised from the history books in order to prevent citizens of the world from learning about its evil beyond imagination that empowers the world's largest organized crime cabal. The authors of this article have done their best to resurrect this lost secret history of the Khazarians and their large international organized crime syndicate, best referred to as the Khazarian Mafia, and make this history available to the world via, via the internet, which is the new G Gutenberg Press. <laughs> um, the, this uh, has been exceedingly difficult to reconstruct this hidden history, of the KM, so please excuse any minor inaccuracies or errors which are unintentional and are due to the difficulty in digging out the true history of Khazaria and its mafia. Okay, so that's the disclaimer that the author of this article gives. It was Mike Harris that connected the dots and made the actual discovery of the presence of the Khazarian mafia's secret history and blood oath to take revenge on Russia. At the Syrian Conference on Combating Terrorism and Religious Extremism, December 1, 2014, in his keynote address, Veterans Today senior editor and director Gordon Duff disclosed publicly for the first time ever that world terrorism is actually due to a large international organized crime syndicate associated with Israel. This disclosure sent shockwaves at the conference and almost instantly around the world as almost every world leader received reports of Duff's historical disclosure that same day, some within minutes. And the shockwaves from his historic speech in Damascus continue to reverberate around the world even to this very day. And now Gordon Duff has asked President Putin to release Russian intel, which will expose about 300 traitors in Congress for their serious serial felonies and statutory espionage on behalf of the Khazarian Mafia against America and many Middle Eastern nations. We now know that the Khazarian Mafia is waging a secret war against America and Americans by the use of false flag gladio-style terrorism, and via the illegal and unconstitutional Federal Reserve System, the IRS, FBI, FEMA, Homeland Security, and the TSA. We know for certain that the KM was responsible for deploying an inside job gladio-style false flag attack on America during 9-11, uh, as well as the Murrah building bombing April 19, 1995. Okay, so this is getting a little conspiratorial. So just... Let's acknowledge it and recognize it, but let's just let these ideas swirl around, okay? Here we go. 100 to 800 AD. An incredibly evil society emerges in Khazaria. Khazarians develop into a nation ruled by an evil king who had ancient Babylonian black arts, occult oligarchs serving as his court. During this time, Khazarians become known to surrounding countries as thieves, murderers, road bandits, and for assuming the identities of those travelers they murdered as 
a normal occupational practice and way of life. 800 AD, the ultimatum was delivered by Russia and other surrounding nations. The leader of the surrounding nations, especially Russia, have had so many years of complaints by their citizens that as a group, they delivered an ultimatum to the Khazarian king. They send a communique to the Khazarian king that he must choose one of the three Abrahamic religions for his people and make it his official state religion and require all Khazarian citizens to practice it and socialize all Khazarian children into the faith to, and to teach them to practice the faith. The Khazarian king was given a choice between Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. We already talked about that. Uh, the king chose Judaism and uh promised to stay within the requirements laid out by the surrounding confederacy of nations led by the Russian Tsar. Despite his agreement and promise, the Khazarian king and his inner circle of oligarchs kept practicing ancient Babylonian black magic, also known as secret Satanism. This secret Satanism involved occult ceremonies featuring child sacrifice where they bled them out, drank their blood, and ate their hearts. <laughs> okay, this is all alleged, okay, allegedly. The deep, dark secret of the occult ceremonies was that they were all based on ancient Baal worship, also known as worship of the owl. In order to fool the confederacy of nations led by Russia that were watching Khazaria, the king melded these Luciferian black magic practices with Judaism and created a secret satanic hybrid religion known as Babylonian Talmudism. This made the national religion of Khazaria and nurtured the same evil that Khazaria was known for before. Sadly, the Khazarians continued their evil ways, robbing and murdering those from surrounding uh, countries who traveled through. Khazarian robbers often attempted to assume their identities after they murdered these victors. I'm sorry, these visitors, and became masters of disguise and false identities a practice they have come I'm, I'm sorry a practice they have continued even to this very day along with their child sacrifice occult ceremonies which are actually ancient ball worship okay so this is the history of where your bohemian grove comes from where a lot of your satan worshiping luciferian bullshit conspiracy tinfoil hat wearing nonsense comes from right <laughs> <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, there's nothing new in this world except the history you do not know, Harry S. Truman, right? Okay, let's move on. 1200 AD, Russia and the surrounding nations have had enough and were ready to take action. About 1200 AD, the Russians led a group of nations surrounding uh, Khazaria, and invaded it in order to stop the crimes against their people, which included kidnapping of their young children and infants for their blood sacrifices to Baal. The Khazarian leaders had a well-developed spy network through which they obtained prior warning and escaped from Khazaria to Europe, uh, to the European nations to the west, taking their vast fortune with them in gold and silver. So this is when they were exiled from Russia and chose to to head west towards Europe. They lay low and regrouped while assuming new identities. In secret, they continued their satanic child blood and sacrifice rituals and trusted Baal to give them the whole world and all its riches. 
as they claimed he had promised them, as long as they kept bleeding out and sacrificing children and infants for him. The Khazarian king and his court mafia plotted eternal revenge against the Russians, yada, yada, etc., etc. Okay, so basically that's the whole point of all this, is that they say that the real Jewish homeland, Khazaria, in the Caucasus, uh, were there, where there was a mass conversion to Judaism in the 8th century, these people with no connection to ancient Israel moved up into Eastern and Western Europe and then later in the future headed for the United States and Israel and allegedly became members of today's Jewish population, okay? So this is, I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. I'm not going to start attacking the Jews and go anti-Semite. I'm just giving you the history, okay? This is what is being discussed here. The history of these different groups and factions throughout different countries around the world in our past, okay? I'm not throwing any Jews under the bus, all right? I'm just giving you the history. So I wanted to talk really quick about the Star of David, too. So this thing uh, alleges that the Star of David Al-Roy was imposed upon the people of Israel by none other than Rothschild when he purchased Israel in 1948. Their symbol is two overlap triangles known as the Morgan David or Star of David. Not the David of the Bible or the Quran, but of David Al-Roy, a 12th century false prophet, is what they're saying. Before he became known as David Al-Roy, his name was Menahem, born in Kazaria. His father Solomon Ben Ducci began his began this movement by sending letters to the Jews stating that Palestine was their birthright. He later took the name Elijah and said his son was the Messiah. In 1527, the Jews of Prague began to use the Star of David as their flag, a pentagram or seal of Solomon, later used by Freemason Zionist Theodore Herzl in 1898 at the start of the modern Zionist movement. Okay, so just a little history behind all of this. Rothschild, Zionism, Khazaria, etc., right? Babylonians, Assyrians, Sumerians. We're going deep today, people. We're going back to the past. Okay? The past is crazy. Okay. Also, there is a monument in Russia that celebrates their defeat of the Khazars. Uh, Duke Rusov Militia. Uh, Sviatoslav, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that, Sviatoslav, brave kind of Rurik, on this day, July 3rd, 964 AD, now and forever, we, Russia, will celebrate the day of victory over the Jewish Khazars, who are now better known as secular Zionists. This victory made it possible for the physical survival of the Russian people. Okay? So you can see how these this group of people, the Khazars, wanted revenge on Russia for kicking them out. And apparently their constitution was evil, uh, taking on the identities of their victims, lying, cheating, stealing, robbing, becoming unbelievably rich banking people, etc. Okay? Again, this is all alleged. I'm just trying to tell a story that these people are trying to tell. Okay, so later on, fast forward to uh, King Charles and the English. The Khazarian Mafia invaded England after being expelled for hundreds of years. 
To accomplish their invasion, they hired Oliver Cromwell to murder King Charles I, allegedly, and make England safe for banking. This began the English Civil Wars, which raged for nearly a decade, resulting in regicide of the royal family and hundreds of the genuine English nobility. This is how the city of London was set up as the banking capital of Europe and launched the beginning of the British Empire. And we talked about the city of London uh, in the previous podcast, Tragedy and Hope. Go back and listen. How did England deal with the corrupt Puritan government parliament when King Charles I was executed by Oliver Cromwell mob? His son, King Charles II, made it his mission to search out retribution, uh, producing the biggest manhunt Britain had ever seen, one that would span Europe and America and would last for 30 years. Men who had once been among the most powerful figures in England ended up on the scaffold, on the run, or in fear of the assassin's bullet. History has painted the regicides and their supporters as Puritan. Among them were John Milton, Oliver Cromwell, uh, I'm sorry, after Cromwell beheaded King Charles I, he became the dictator of England. This corrupt Puritan parliament was murdered, uh, also murdered Guy Fawkes, you know, remember, remember the 5th of November, V for Vendetta, Guy Fawkes, right? Also known as the father of Anonymous, allegedly, the group. The cyber group. The Puritans were ultimately executed by the returning King Charles II in 1660 for regicide uh, and usurping the laws of England. The Magna Carta, which is similar to our U.S. Constitution, uh, was what they got in trouble for. Cromwell's severed head was displayed on a pole outside Westminster Hall from 1661 to 1685. The English Puritans under Cromwell engaged in pure and simple genocide of Roman Catholics in Ireland. 40,000 victims killed or sold as slaves in 1649 in the Oradors of Drogheda and Wexford alone. The Khazarian Mafia decides to infiltrate and hijack all world banking using Babylonian black magic, also known as Babylonian money magic, or the secret art of making money from nothing also using the power of pernicious usury to accumulate interest. And we've been over that before in the Tragedy and Hope episode. Okay, so I I know I'm kind of jumping around, but I'm just trying to get all this history out at you just so you can see the common theme, the common variable in all of these stories, okay? Uh, The Khazarian Mafia used their vast fortune to enter into a new system of banking based on secret Babylonian black magic, money magic, that they claim to have learned from the evil spirits of Baal in return for their many child sacrifices. This Babylonian money magic involved the substitution of paper credit certificates for gold and silver deposits, which allowed travelers to travel with their money in a form that offered easy replacement should they lose the certificates or have them stolen. Okay? So this is where the Rothschild family came from. Here we go. Interesting how the very problem that was started by the Khazarians also had a solution provided by them. Eventually, the Khazarian king and his small surrounding court infiltrated Germany as well with a group that chose the name Bowers, the Bowers of Germany, to represent them and carry on their ball-powered system of evil. The Bowers of the Red Shield, which represented their secret blood-based child sacrifices, changed their name to Rothschild, 
also known as the child of the rock, satanic. This is satanic. Rot's shield, I told you before. The red shield. The bowers of the red shield. See how this all connects people? Rothschild is a Khazarian uh, who also changed his name, just like Menamen did in the 12th century. But for Rothschild, it went from Bauer to Rothschild. It stood for the red hexagram that was above his office in 1760. Rot is German for red. Schild is German for sign or shield. Put the two together and you get Rothschild. And th throw in an H and you have Rothschild. Okay, whatever. Uh, here we go. <clears throat> Here's some more history. 1743, Mary Amschel Bauer, an Askenazi Jew, born in Frankfurt, Germany, the son of Moses Amschel Bauer, a money lender and the proprietor of Counting House. Moses Amschel Bear places a red sign above the entrance door to his Counting House. This sign is a red hexagram and numerically translates into the number 666. 666, yada yada, which under Rothschild's instruction will end up on the Israeli, which under Rothschild's instruction ended up on the Israeli, the Israeli flag. Some two centuries later in 1753, Gudel Schneiper, an Ashkenazi Jew, future wife of Mayor Amschel Bauer, born to Respected merchant Wolf Solomon Schnapper, 1760. During this decade, Mayor Amschel Bauer works for a bank owned by the Oppenheimers in Hanover, Germany. He is highly successful and becomes a junior partner. Whilst working at the bank, he becomes acquainted with General von Estorf. Following his father's death, Bauer returns to Frankfurt to take over his father's business. Bauer recognizes the significance of the red hexagram and changes his name from Bauer to Rothschild. After the red hexagram or sign signifying 666 hanging over the entrance door. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but here we go. Let's continue. The Rothschilds as the front man for the Khazarian Mafia infiltrate and hijack the British banking and then hijack the whole nation of England. Bauer, Rothschild, and his five sons, the five families, remember, who infiltrated and took over European banking in the city of London's central banking system through various crafty covert operations, including a false report of Napoleon winning against the British when he actually lost. This allowed the Rothschilds to use fraud and deception to steal the wealth of the English nobility and the landed gentry, who had made business investments with the city of London banking institutions. The Rothschilds set up a private fiat banking system that specialized in making counterfeit money from nothing, charging pernicious usury for the British people, using what should have been their own money. This was the black art of Babylonian money magic. They claimed to insiders that such technology and secret money power was provided to them by Baal because of their frequent child bleeding out sacrifice rituals. Wow. Once they had infiltrated and hijacked the British banking system, they interbred with the British royals and infiltrated and completely hijacked all of England and all its major institutions. Some experts believe that the Rothschilds genocided the royal family members by staging secretly managed illicit and adulterous breedings with their own Khazarian men in order to replace the royals with their own pretenders to the throne. And remember all the conversations about 
the Rothschilds interbreeding, keeping the bloodline pure up in the mountains, right? Gross. The Khazarian Mafia wages an international effort to eradicate kings who rule by divine right. Because the KM claims to have a personal partnership with Baal, because of their sacrifices to him, they detest any kings who rule under the authority of God Almighty, because most feel a responsibility to make sure their own people are protected from infiltrators and treasonous enemies within the gates. And this is where things get a little bit more interesting. In the 1600s, the KM murdered the British royals, substitute their own fakes. In the 1700s, they murdered the French royals. Right before World War I, they murdered Austrian Archduke Ferdinand to start World War I. In 1917, they assembled their army, the Bolsheviks, and infiltrated and hijacked Russia, murdered the Tsars and his family in cold blood, bayoneted his favorite daughter through the chest and stole all of the Russian gold, silver, and art treasures. Right before World War II, they murdered the Austrian and German royals. Then they got rid of the Chinese royals and disempowered the Japanese ruler. The KM's intense hatred for anyone who professed faith in God, in any god rather, but their god Baal, uh, has motivated them to murder kings and royalty and make sure they can never rule. They have done the same with American presidents running sophisticated covert operations to disempower them. If that doesn't work, the KM assassinates them like they did McKinley, Lincoln, and JFK. The KM wants to eliminate any strong rulers or elected officials they dare, who dare to resist their Babylonian money magic power or their covert power gained from their deployment of their human compromise network. Human compromise network. Hmm. That reminds me of John Perkins and Confessions of an Economic Hitman. The Rothschilds then covertly ran the British Empire and crafted an evil plan to recover the vast amounts of gold and silver the British had been paying to China for its high-quality silk and spices that were unavailable anywhere else. Uh, the Silk Road actually kind of went right through ancient Khazaria. So apparently they had a beef with China too later. The Rothschilds, through their international spy network, had heard of Turkish opium and its habit-forming characteristics. They deployed a covert operation to buy Turkish opium and sell it in China, infecting millions with a bad opium habit that brought back gold and silver into the Rothschild coffers, but not to the British people. The opium addictions created by Rothschild Opium sales to China harmed China so much that China went to war on two occasions to stop it. These wars are known as the Boxer Rebellions or the Opium Wars. The money the Rothschilds gained from the sale of opium was so vast that they became even more addicted to easy money than the opiate addicts were to the opium. <laughs> the Rothschilds were the funding source behind the establishment of the American colonies. By incorporating the Hudson Bay Company and other trading companies to exploit the new world of the Americas. It was the Rothschilds who ordered the mass extermination and genocide of the indigenous peoples of North America to allow for exploitation of the vast natural resources of the continent. And that story makes me sad because I like to think that your Thomas Paines and your George Washingtons and all of your founders of this country were these, you know, radicals that were seeking religious freedom and wanted to get away from King George. I've talked about that previously on this podcast, right? And 
I talked about how they wanted what's best for everyone, and they were, you know, they were um, exercising their reason. They wanted a more secular culture, or maybe not a more secular culture, but they wanted religious freedom. They wanted to maybe worship their ball and their satanic Luciferians, or they wanted to worship God, or whatever, right? But that was the point behind the founding of this country, allegedly. Because now that I'm reading this history and I'm seeing how the tentacles of the Rothschilds family have gone into many, many countries around this world, if not all of them at this point, it's kind of hard to not consider the possibility that all of your favorite rah-rah, sis-boom-ba uh, founding of this nation, American beliefs, uh, weren't affected by this power money elite, right? I mean, isn't it a crazy thought to think that the heirs of Lord Mayor Amschel Rothschild or Bauer or whatever, all the way back to ancient Khazaria, throughout history, throughout all of human history, basically, have been involved in every toppling of certain governments and kings and whatever. I mean, it, it seems far-fetched, doesn't it? It seems like from ancient Sumer all the way to present day. You know what I mean? So that's the part of all this stuff that really gets me to go, okay, where are the missing links in this story? Can you really trace these bloodlines all the way back pre-Roman? Right? Like pre-Greek maybe even? All the way back to ancient Sumeria? There's got to be some puzzle pieces in there somewhere, I would imagine. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But it just seems to me that it's kind of a far-fetched idea to believe that one family's lineage is involved in major world events all over this world ever since the ancient Sumerians and Babylonians. Seems a little crazy. Not sure if it's necessarily true. But there are researchers out there that are claiming that this is true. And boy, do they have a lot of information to back up these claims. Right? So, you know, like I always say on this podcast, I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm not trying to tell you what to believe. I don't, I'm not taking a side. I'm just presenting you with some information. And you, the listener, it's your job to either accept or reject that information. Okay? Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the history of the Rothschilds. Uh, allegedly, they followed the same business template in the Caribbean and in the Asian subcontinent of India, resulting in more murder of millions of innocent people. Okay? So, we're going to continue this story next, here on the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Alright people, welcome back. So let's uh, go back in time again. And we're going to go back to 10 
48 AD, okay? Uh, there is a group called the Order of Malta that was founded in Jerusalem. Uh, they were they were um, military. They're militaristic, a militaristic group, and they also uh, ran some hospitals, I believe. So um, their job was uh, they swore an oath, I believe, to protect the Christians from the Muslims uh, at this time. And I think this was in the same general area uh, from Israel, modern day Israel, Palestine, into the Caucasus. Uh, 1096 AD, uh, the first crusade occurred. If you remember the famous crusades, the wars, you know, uh, the Catholic church wanted to reclaim the Holy land from the Islamic rule. Uh, apparently, um, you know, there were Muslims that occupied and were running this area at the time. And then fast forward to 1118 AD, uh, a group was formed called the Poor Knights of the Temple of Solomon. This group was also known as the Knights Templar. They wanted to rebuild the Temple of Solomon that was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see in the future how uh, the Roman Catholic Church ended up supporting the Knights Templar. They actually uh, vowed blood oaths again, gave their lives to be loyal and that's a common thing with these groups uh, that you're going to hear about, okay? Uh, these groups were above the law at the time. They could pass freely between countries without following any local customs or rules. They did not pay taxes, and they were exempt from all authority. And coincidentally, the Templars, uh, over time, because of their uh, above-the-law status... Uh, and their protection by the Roman Catholic Church, they also became very successful bankers, much like the Rothschild Khazarian Mafia families. Okay, and then in the 14th century, King Philip of France asked uh, for the loans back from, I believe it was the Roman Catholic Church, or back from the Knights Templar, uh, and the Templars refused to pay him. And so then the Templars set the wheels in motion for the French Revolution, allegedly. And I find that to be quite interesting. 1312 AD, the Templars dissolved, the, I'm sorry, the Templars were dissolved by the Pope at the time. And later, after that Pope and after King Philip died, there were new offshoot orders of the Templars that were formed, and there were many of them. Uh, one of them were the Rosicrucians that were formed uh, and were was formed after this time, after 13 AD, 1312 AD. And they were named after a German Christian whose last name was Rosenkreutz. And his sigil or his uh, sign, kind of like the, the hexagram of the... Um, the uh, Rothschilds, uh, they used the cross with a rose in it. So, Rosie Crucian, Rosie Cross, get it? So, that was their signature, their sign. So, the Rosicrucians are a group that formed uh, out of the Knights Templar. 
And then in 1534 AD, the Order of the Jesuits was founded. The Jesuits were a Catholic religious order founded in Paris. Uh, There were a military order sworn allegiance to the Pope and there were the the top of this pyramid of the people involved in the Jesuit order were basically you know the the military wing of the Roman Catholic Church okay and over time the Jesuits the Rosicrucians later we're going to learn the Freemasons um all infiltrated the Masonic lodges of the time in fact they opened and spread Freemasonry and the Masonic lodges all over the world and because the Jesuits were accepted into the uh, the Freemasons of the time, who were obviously stonemasons, very talented people that I believe built pretty much everything in this world, the world fairs, all the m- amazing lavish buildings, ancient Tartaria, etc., 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 right? So... These people were very, all these groups, very interested in taking back the Temple of Solomon. They were very interested in the Talmud and the Kabbalah. And they were very secretive. Okay? Uh, Fast forward to 1717. They formed the Grand Lodge of England. The Jesuits became so powerful that 18 heads of state pressured the Pope to end the Jesuit order. And the Pope ended up getting murdered by poison (laughs) because I think he considered it. I forget what Pope it was. Uh, I think this is all this stuff, uh, by the way, is in uh, the fall of the cabal sequel episode one. So I'm picking back that I'm picking up that story back where we left it off before I got into the Khazarian mafia in the previous segment. Okay. Then in 1748 in Southern Germany, Bavaria, actually, There was a gentleman born by the name of Adam Weishaupt. He was a professor in canon law at the Jesuit University. He was educated in the Luciferian ideology uh, that was written into his plan. And in 1773, there was a secret meeting between the Rothschilds, the Khazarian bankers, uh, and members of these offshoot groups, the the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, etc., And they joined forces with the Jesuit, Adam Weishaupt. In 1776, think about that date. In 1776, the Revolutionary War here in the United States, where we declared our independence from the King of England. Same year, 1776, the Order of the Illuminati was founded. It was a fusion of the Khazarian Mafia, the Rothschild family, and the Order of the Jesuits, who included and who were now spread throughout the Rosicrucians, the Knights Templar, the Freemasons, etc., 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 okay? And their goal, their goal at this meeting was to create a world government, that is their that was their professed goal and they sought for world dominance and this story makes me really the timeline how it lines up is crazy to me because later i'm going to talk about how washington dc 
how the city is laid out. There's a lot of Freemasonic imagery, uh, symbolism. Uh, you can see the order of the owl. Uh, there's pictures of, if you look at an aerial view of Washington, D.C., you can see the owl. And the owl goes all the way back to Baal worship from ancient Samaria. Okay? So, call it conspiracy theory if you want people. But, you know, symbolism will be their downfall, right? That was what they kept popping, that message kept popping up in uh, the original Fall of the Cabal and the QAnon videos, right? So, that part of it, I think, is irrefutable. You can you can argue up up and down, left and right, <laughs> until you're blue in the face about whether or not these people were really Luciferian, Satan-worshipping, uh, child-sacrificing, blood-drinkers, right? You, you can argue about all that stuff until you're blue in the face. But you cannot deny the fact that there is symbolism and the way that Washington, D.C. was built it is... It's irrefutable that the Freemasons had a huge hand in how and why and where the specific streets and locations of things were placed. So that's that, okay? Uh, during this time, France forced uh, the Ashkenazi Jews to convert. I think this is slightly before. Um, this actually goes back to the French Revolution time. Kind of a similar story where France was like, you gotta, you know, we know what you're up to. You gotta convert to, uh, you know, monotheistic re religion, I guess. And uh, they did the same thing that they did, uh, that, you know, that Russia made them do. But like before, they merged their Luciferian ideology with Christianity this time in France. So, and this all, this all goes back to the time of the French Revolution. And this is where I want to play a clip for you guys. Uh, there was this thing called the Constantinople Letter that apparently was sent uh, to Lord Rothschild. And this letter pretty much forecasted and told the intentions of these groups. And here, I want to take a little pause from my storytelling here, and I want to play you this clip. So here we go. Take a listen. To this, this is from episode one of the Fall of the Cabal sequel series. Here we go. As for what you say that the King of France obliges you to become Christians, do it. Since you cannot do otherwise, but let the law of Moses be kept in your hearts. As for what you say about the demand to despoil you of your goods, make your sons merchants, that little by little they may despoil the Christians of theirs. As for what you say about their making attempts on your lives, make your sons doctors and apothecaries that they may take away Christian lives. As for what you say about their destroying your synagogues, make your sons canons and clerics in order that they may destroy their churches. As for the many other vexations you complain of, Arrange that your sons become advocates and lawyers and see that they always mix themselves up with the affairs of state in order that by putting Christians under your yoke you may dominate the world and be avenged on them. Do not swerve from this order we give you for you will find by experience that humiliated as you are now you will reach the actuality of power. 
In other words, they were told to fake and make-believe conversion and to infiltrate every aspect of society, commerce, medicine, religion, and legislation, with the sole purpose of revenge and destruction. How Khazarian! Adam Weishaupt founded the Order of the Illuminati in 1776, financed by the Rothschilds, based on this letter that, by the way, was based on an even older document, more about which in part four. One year later, in 1777, Weishaupt joined the Grand Orient Masonic Lodge. He made over 2,000 Jesuits head of the many lodges across the world, thus establishing a massive empire of power in which the Jesuit order was the spider in the web. Weishaupt then officially left the Jesuit order so that no suspicion would ever be drawn to the involvement of the Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuit Council in the illustrious plans of the Illuminati. The Rothschilds used their riches to finance wars, as they had found out that by financing both sides of each and every war, they would always win financially. They knew no scruples, no mercy. The alliance of the Luciferian Khazars and the Jesuit order had only just begun. Their goals? Personal gain, wealth and power the submission of the royal families, the annihilation of the infidels, Protestants, Calvinists, atheists, Muslims, Jews, in other words, the destruction of all religions except the Roman Catholic faith, the destruction of all governments, world dominance of the Pope, and revenge, revenge on each and every one who had ever betrayed them. Revenge on Russia, first and foremost, the country that had expelled the Khazars. But not only that, remember the vengeance of the Jesuits on the Pope who had betrayed them? Well, they weren't done just yet. For the European kings of France, Spain, England, Austria and so on, who had banned the Jesuit order, were about to have a taste of their wrath. The first pawn the Illuminati Alliance put forward was Napoleon Bonaparte. The fact that the French Revolution was indeed orchestrated by elite secret societies was documented and proven by the French Jesuit Augustin Baruel. He wrote an influential account in which he focused in particular on Adam Weishaupt, founder of the Order of the Illuminati. According to Baruel, the French Revolution was orchestrated by Freemasons and philosophers like Voltaire and Montesquieu. We'll get back to Baruel in a later stage, so remember his name. Napoleon's advisor was a Jesuit, Emmanuel Sillet. He advised Napoleon on where to go and what to do. In today's language, we would call Sillet his handler. Okay, so that is making the claim that these groups were behind the French Revolution and Napoleon was in their pocket. He was the front man. 
although he was just the puppet, and the puppet masters were pulling the strings from behind the scenes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like how all the Ivy League secret societies operate. Sounds like uh, the people that sought out uh, John Phillips. I'm sorry, not John Phillips. John Perkins from Confessions of an Economic Hitman. In that book, he talks about how, you know, they find you and they try to find a hook on you. And once you're in, you're in and you can never get out, right? Swearing blood oaths, etc. And... Where this is all going is that not only did this happen in uh, France and the French Revolution with Napoleon, but we're going to see, moving on as I continue in this series, how Hitler may have been involved and been the front guy for the big club's plans, and Lenin in Russia, allegedly, was one of these frontman puppets of the big club and we're going to get to that here uh, as we continue the story so here is another clip from fall the cabal sequel episode one and this is going to talk about uh some of the goings on that happened between the time of the french revolution uh and leading up into uh leading up to rather world war one okay so take a listen to this According to many historians and researchers, the Jesuits were the ones who orchestrated and directed the French Revolution and the outcome. Napoleon was a Masonic Grand Master. He was chosen and initiated by the Order to play a key role in their planned revolution. Napoleon's brother, Louis Bonaparte, was made Grand Master of the Grand Orient of France. His wife, Josephine, was a member of the Mason Rite of Adoption. Under Napoleon's rule, the number of lodges in France grew from 300 to 1,220. Napoleon was a puppet of the cabal. We were led to believe he was the front man, but he was not. The hidden hand that some historians believe was to cover an ulcer, seriously, was actually a common Masonic gesture called the sign of the master of the second veil. Many world leaders have shown this sign throughout the ages. The French Revolution started in 1789 and lasted for 10 long and bloody years of absolute terror. It was the master plan of the Jesuit council to take revenge on France to destabilize the country through war and to destroy the French crown. Their tool? The Jacobins, an extremist political movement founded by none other than Napoleon's advisor, the Jesuit Sillet. The Jacobins caused mayhem across France, rioting, plundering, murdering everyone who stood in their way. They left behind a trail of death and destruction wherever they went. The Jesuit plan worked. The guillotines worked overtime. The Jesuit order 
is the most dangerous of all orders. It has caused more harm than all other orders. The doctrine of the Jesuits entails that their supreme general is the sovereign of sovereigns and master of the world. After the French Revolution had ended, the Napoleonic War started. They caused even more instability and destruction, not only to France, but to the many countries Napoleon invaded. Austria, Russia, England, Prussia, Portugal and Spain, where the royal family was kicked out and Napoleon's older brother was put on the throne. Each and every country that had once banned the Jesuit order and the Khazarian Ashkenazi Jews was now in ruins. This was one of the order's most dominant passions, revenge. During the Napoleonic Wars, the Illuminati Alliance deployed their most successful strategy. They financed both the French and the English army. It simply didn't matter who won. War was an absolute revenue model. It was the Duke of Wellington who fought Napoleon and who defeated him at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. Nathan Rothschild, a brilliant and ruthless businessman, had his spies at Waterloo and he had a private courier system as he knew that fast communication was vital in business. When it was clear that Napoleon had been defeated, the message was immediately sent to Rothschild, who received the news two days prior to anyone else. He then made a brilliant move at the London Stock Exchange. Instead of buying English bonds, the gilts, he sold those he had. The other traders noticed and drew the erroneous conclusion that Napoleon must have won the war. They immediately sold their bonds as well, causing the guilt price to drop dramatically. That was the moment Rothschild made his move. He bought all the guilt he could lay his hands on at a very low price. By the time the others had noticed and frantically started buying again, Nathan Rothschild was excessively rich. The King of England, George III, was now heavily indebted to Nathan Rothschild, who had financed his wars. Not only had the king to pay back his debts, he had to pay interest on top of it. He was now in the pocket of the Rothschilds. I care not what puppet is placed on the throne of England to rule the empire. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls the British Empire, and I control the money supply. Next, 1914. The Illuminati Alliance, that we shall refer to as the Cabal from now on, simply because it's short and to the point, caused World War I, a war initially solely between Austro-Hungary, a dual empire of Austria and Hungary on the one side, and Serbia on the other. What happened? The ruler of Austro-Hungary, Emperor Franz Josef I, had no successor to the throne, as his only son had committed suicide. His nephew, Franz Ferdinand, became heir to the throne. But his ideas about politics were very different from his uncle's. Franz Ferdinand wanted to decentralize. He wanted autonomy for the various ethnic groups. 
He wanted to incorporate Serbia into the dual empire as a political entity equal to Hungary and Austria. He was a thorn in the eye of his uncle, the emperor. Although raised in the Jesuit image of his father and uncle, he had a mind of his own. He refused to adopt his uncle's political vision and he married the woman he loved, which was so not done within the elite. At the time of extreme internal unrest, the emperor sent his nephew to the border with Serbia, where he and his wife, Sophie, were murdered. According to the official narrative, it was the Serbian Gavrilo Princip who pulled the trigger. And so, Austro-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Germany joined forces with Austro-Hungary. England, France, Russia, and later Italy, Romania, Bulgaria, and former Turkey, the Ottoman Empire, came to the aid of Serbia. We all know the results. Four horror years in trenches, nine million killed. Germany was in ruins, and that was precisely what the Jesuits had aimed for, as Germany was mostly Protestant. You may remember what it said in the Jesuit oath about Protestants. They would do absolutely anything to destroy their horrible race forever. Some historians may question or even deny the Jesuit background of the rulers of Austro-Hungary, which is odd as they were prominent members of several Jesuit suborders, such as the Supreme Order of Christ. Emperor Franz Josef was so high up in the Jesuit council that he was authorized to grant titles such as Prince and Grand Master. In 1880, for instance, he granted this title of Prince of the Holy Roman Empire to the Grand Masters of the Order of Malta. He even founded his own order, the Imperial Austrian Order of Franz Josef. I promise to go deeper into these orders, plus the evidence of their Jesuit connection in a later episode. For now, we'll leave it here, as we don't want to get lost in history. Okay, so we're going to stop right there with the Fall of the Cabal uh, series. And next episode of my show, Politics and Punk Rock Podcast, that you are listening to right now, <laughs> uh, I'm going to continue with uh, a lot of these stories and themes. Uh, but I want to go back to that article that I was reading in the previous segment and continue, uh, pick up where we left off there. I was getting ready to tell you that um, the Rothschilds also followed the same business template in the Caribbean and the Asian subcontinent of India, resulting in the murder of millions of innocent people. Um, so we're going uh, into the future again, just to kind of uh, continue talking about the Rothschilds and the Khazarian Mafia, okay? And then uh, once I get through this, uh, that'll be it for today. So here we go. Uh, the Rothschilds start the international slave trade, in an enterprise that viewed these kidnapped humans as mere animals, a view that the Khazarians would impose on all the people of the world who were not part of their evil cabal circle, which some called the old black nobility. 
The Rothschilds' next big project was to start the worldwide slave trade, buying slaves from crooked tribal chiefs in Africa, who worked with them to kidnap members of competing tribes for sale as slaves. And remember, I kind of touched on this in the uh, unraveling episode. Uh, The Rothschild bankers learned early on that war was a great way to double their money in a short time by lending money to both warring sides. Hegelian dialectic. We've been over that. But in order to be guaranteed collections, they had to get taxation laws passed, which could be used to force payment. The K.M. Rothschild private fiat counterfeit banksters plot eternal revenge against the American colonists and Russia who assisted them uh, for losing the Revolutionary War. Uh, so apparently, when the Rothschilds lost the American Revolution, they blamed the Russian Tsar and the Russians for assisting the colonists by blockading British ships. So that's quite interesting. Um, they swore eternal revenge on the American colonists as well, just as they had when the Russians and their allies crushed Khazaria in 1000 AD. And I just saw recently that uh, in 2006, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, declared total independence from Rothschild New World Order banking cabal. Uh, <laughs> back in 2006, apparently he said that. So these people are all over the world. My fellow Americans, this cabal of the Jesuits and the Rothschilds and the Khazarian Mafia and the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons, etc., 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 okay? Their favorite plan is to set up an American central bank featuring Babylonian money magic and secret counterfeiting. The Rothschilds and their English oligarchy that surrounded them plotted ways to retake America, and this became their main obsession. So after the Revolutionary War, after the the beginning of this country, apparently this group, this cabal, uh, had some unfinished business, right? So President Andrew Jackson shut down the Hamilton Rothschild collectivism bilking banks. President Andrew Jackson said uh, was quoted as saying that he killed the bank. The Rothschild uh, KM attempts to retake America in 1812 on behalf of the Khazarian Mafia, but fails once again because of Russian interference. This failure enraged the Rothschild KM, and they once again plotted revenge against both the Russians and the American colonists and planned to infiltrate and hijack both nations and asset strip, tyrannize, and then Uh, Mass murder both nations and their populace, allegedly. Allegedly. The KM's attempts to set up a private American central bank were blocked by President Andrew Jackson, who called them satanic and vowed to rout them out by the grace of the power of Almighty God. The Rothschild banksters regroup and continue their covert attempts to install their own Babylonian money magic bank inside the United States. Enter... Woodrow Wilson in 1919. I am a most unhappy man, he says. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is now controlled by its system of credit. We are no longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. 
Rothschild, Stooge, Woodrow Wilson. In office from 1913 to 1921. Established the Rothschild-controlled Federal Reserve Bank in 1913. And an evil enemy of all Americans entered the gates of America. In 1913, the Rothschilds KM was able to establish a beachhead by bribing crooked, treasonous members of Congress to pass the illegal, unconstitutional Federal Reserve Act on Christmas Eve without a required quorum. The act was then signed by a crooked, bought-off president who was a traitor to the United States, like the members of Congress who voted for it. The KM put an illegal, unconstitutional tax system in place in order to make sure that Americans would have to pay for high-level USG spending, approved by a bought-off crooked Congress and presidential puppets put in place by corrupt KM campaign finance. That illegal taxation system uh, is the income tax, people. It's easy for the KM to garner enough money to elect anyone they want now because when you control a bank that is a secret major counterfeiter, you have all the money made for you that you desire. At about the same time they created their illegal tax system in the United States, they also bribed members of Congress to approve the international, I'm sorry, to approve the Internal Revenue Service, which is their private collection agency they incorporated in Puerto Rico. Soon afterwards, they set up the Federal Bureau of Investigation to protect their bankster friends, to serve their cover-up needs, and prevent them from ever being prosecuted for their child sacrifice rituals, pedophile networks, and to also serve as a covert intel operation on their behalf. Note that the FBI has no official charter, according to the Library of Congress, and has no right to exist or issue paychecks. Okay? And now let's go back to Russia. Apparently, the Rothschild KM also deployed the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia to extract incredibly savage, bloody revenge on the innocent Russian people, which they had plotted against for many years ever since Khazaria was destroyed. And I'm going to go over uh, Lenin in the next episode. Uh, the Rothschild KM pre-staged and engineered the Russian Revolution as well by using its central banks to pay for the Bolshevik infiltration of Russia and the revolution on behalf of the Khazarian Mafia. And here's a quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn that I wanted to throw in here. It's part of this article. Uh, you must understand, the leading Bolsheviks who took over Russia were not Russians. They hated Russians. They hated Christians. Driven by ethnic hatred, they tortured and slaughtered millions of Russians without a shred of human remorse. It cannot be overstated. Bolshevism committed the greatest human slaughter of all time. The fact that most of the world is ignorant and uncaring about this enormous crime is proof that the global media is in the hands of the perpetrators. The Bolsheviks were actually created and deployed by the Khazarian Mafia as 
the essential part of their long-planned revenge on the Russian Tsar and the innocent Russian people for breaking up Kazaria in about 1080 for its repeated robbery, murder, identity theft of travelers from countries surrounding Kazaria. This little-known fact explains the extreme violence taken out on Russia as long-standing revenge by the Rothschild-controlled Kazarian Mafia. So people, not only does this group have their tentacles in Russia, China, all over Europe, the United States, the Caribbean, who knows where else. And we're probably going to get to it as we go on with this, okay? In a well-planned savage and inhuman bloodletting that stunned the world, the Bolsheviks were in, unleashed in full fury on behalf of the KM to make revenge on Russia. I've been over that. Uh, under the direction of the Rothschild KM, the Bolsheviks raped, tortured, and mass-murdered approximately 100 million Russians, including women, children, and infants. Some of the torture and bloodletting was so extreme, we are not going to mention it here in this article. So apparently it was pretty bad. But readers who want to know can do some in-depth internet research on the Red Terror, or the Bolshevik Cheka. Or watch the classic movie, The Checklist, which is available on YouTube. So, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, there you go. Let's move on. The Rothschild KM created a master plan to control all of Judaism and mind-controlled Judeans. The Rothschild KM was hijacked, has hijacked Judaism, patterned it off Babylonian Talmudism, which is Luciferianism or Satanism, and gained control over the banking and Wall Street professions in general, Congress, the major mass media, along with most wealth and economic means of success. And then there's this thing called the Balfour Agreement that uh, talks about this. And here's a little bit of the Balfour Agreement, 1917, November 2nd. Dear Lord Rothschild, I have much pleasure in conveying to you, on behalf of His Majesty's government, the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspirations, which has been submitted to and approved by the Cabinet. Uh, His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. And then this letter goes on, and this is basically... Uh, this story, we'll, we'll get into it later, but apparently, just a power move by the big club, they pretty much just took Palestine and said that this was, you know, their land, Zionist land, I guess. Uh, the Declaration of Breton and Rothschild creating the political system of Zionism, usurping Palestine to create an artificial sanctuary called State of Israel for the political Khazars. This has nothing to do with the people of Israel. Israel is a people. They are not a nation-state. Rothschild was also just kicked out of India by Gandhi, allegedly, when this occurred. So, they're everywhere. This cabal people is everywhere. Thus, the Rothschild KM could pass out wealth and success to those Judaics who drank their Kool-Aid and used them as cutouts, assets, and Saiyanisms. In this manner, the Rothschilds hijacked Judaism. Allegedly, okay? Rothschild's Zionism is not Abrahamic Judaism. This distinction must be made. Uh, their financing of the Israeli Neset 
and construction of its using Freemason occult architecture displayed their commitment to the occult and Babylonian Talmudism and all the evil accompanying it, including child sacrifice to their secret god Baal. They set up the New World Order system called World Zionism, which taught and inculcated susceptible Juda uh, Judaics with a paranoid group delusion of racial superiority, which assumed that all Gentiles were intent on mass murdering the Jews, okay? And we're going to get into all that with Hitler in Germany, obviously, okay? Freemasonry architecture was used in the building of the Neset in the Israeli Supreme Court. They called this racially paranoid mass Judaic delusion of world conquest world Zionism, which is really a form of covert Babylonian Talmudism or Luciferianism that had been unknown to mainstream Jews. The system was designed to use Jews as cover, but also to anoint them with Babylonian money power in order to use them as cutouts and to later be sacrificed to Lucifer in two stages. So we're going to leave that right there for now. And take a listen to this. Vladimir Lenin was hired by Rothschild to overthrow the monarchy of Russia and to institute centralization, which goes by many names by Rothschild. Vladimir's scheme of manipulating healthcare through a central process made it easier to control the people while usurping their work efforts to Rothschild's banking system. Lenin stated that socialized medicine is the keystone to the arch of the socialist state. So I'm going to get into that next episode, and we're going to talk about how Lenin was basically a Jesuit trained in the school Jesuit schools uh, was removed from Russia for many many years apparently he hated Russia and he was the puppet the front man much like Napoleon for the big club the cabal Rothschild's Zionist Lenin the cabal hired Marx uh, apparently they included Karl Marx in here to craft a social political scheme Marxism, also known as communism, a.k.a. Sovietism, a.k.a. socialism, a.k.a. Rothschildism, to centralize a nation's wealth to the coffers of the Rothschild Bank of England. Vladimir Lenin was the first goon used by Rothschild to usurp Russia and rename it the USSR. Gorbachev, the last Soviet Rothschild goon, was removed from office on Christmas Day, 1991. Gorbachev was in office for about as long as the overthrow the overthrown Rothschild president in Egypt, who now is in prison facing murder charges against the people. Uh, the U.S. media made a hero out of this piece of shit <laughs> who is in the U.S. Uh, implementing Agenda 21 with Nancy Pelosi in the background. Okay, so uh, the author of this article obviously went on a little brief aside tangent there, and he's kind of jumping all over the place with this history lesson, okay? So I'll talk about this in the next episode. I'm just going to leave that part right there. And this article that I'm reading from uh, is by a guy named Mike Harris. He's the financial editor of Veterans Today, a radio host, a former GOP, a GOP finance chairman, gubernatorial candidate for Arizona, and a senior vice president of Adamus Defense Group, Switzerland. Mike is an expert in full contact martial arts. Long-term expertise and such has gained him a lot of respect 
I don't know why that's in there. Mike was a part of the Veterans Today group that attended the Damascus Conference to Combat Terrorism and Religious Extremism. Mike gave about 25 televised interviews that were broadcast to millions of viewers in Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, and Iran. In these interviews, Mike emphasized and supported the historical declaration by keynote speaker, Veterans Today senior editor and chairman Gordon Duff, that the real problem behind world terrorism is a large organized crime syndicate. For those who have time and interest on the head of the Khazarian Mafia snake, continue reading. And uh, I didn't read this entire article to you. Like I said, next episode, I'm going to get into uh, Russia and Lenin. And uh, if I have time next episode, I'll get into Hitler and Germany and World War II. And we're going to see how this cabal is involved in all of that history as well. Crazy, crazy stuff. And like I said, people, I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm not trying to tell you what to believe. You can dismiss every single word that's coming out of my mouth right now if you want to. That is totally fine. I'm just trying to provide you with information. And you can be the judge. You can make your own conclusions and form your own decisions. Just trying to have some conversations about some serious stuff. And if there's any truth to all of this, what a crazy world we live in indeed. <laughs> People, it's time to play some punk rock. All right, people, it is time for some punk rock. And today I'm going to play a song that I love. These guys are awesome. This is a, a song by a band called The Normandies from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, they're a five-piece band uh, who have given me permission to play one of their songs today. And this is off of their 2019 release, Co-Conspirators of Greater Evils. Ladies and gentlemen, making their debut on the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. Here are the Normandies with the song Welcome to the End. You know I build missiles. You should be rewarded for that. Yeah. 
people that was the band the normandies from tulsa oklahoma with the song welcome to the end and i hope you guys like the show today like i said i'm going to do a series uh where i'm talking about the history of all these rothschilds and freemasons and um the jesuits etc etc the big club if you will next episode we're going to talk about uh lenin we're going to talk about hitler and uh, how these guys may have been the front men for the big club and the Khazarian Mafia, just like Napoleon was. Crazy stuff, I know. But I find it very interesting and very fascinating, and I hope my listeners do as well. <clears throat> and if you want, send me an email, andrewforamerica1984 at gmail.com. And give me some uh, feedback. Let me know if uh, there's some things that I'm not covering that I should be covering. If you want to criticize my show and let me know if I'm not uh, being fair and balanced enough. If I'm attacking some group of people too much. Um, <laughs> whatever. Etc. Right? Uh, I really want this to be an interactive show. I want my listeners to be able to have a say in what I'm talking about. Within reason, of course. And if you're a punk rock band and you want some exposure, send me your stuff. Send me a bio, maybe some lyrics. Send me a couple songs if you want me to play your band on the show. Send it to that email, andrewforamerica1984 at gmail.com. Visit the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com, where you can buy a t-shirt or donate to the show. I love you guys. Thank you. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 75 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Titled, The Past is Crazy. Part 1. We'll see you next time.